Main Street to Wall Street, global business celebrity and former Fortune 100 C-suite executive Jeffrey Hazlett takes you inside the good, the bad, and the ugly of businesses today. Saddle up. It's time for All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. Hey, this week our show focuses on getting everyone ready and back to work in whatever capacity that's going to be for you and your business. What steps do we need to take to be ready to go on day one? Well, that's what our next guest is. But I got to tell you, I didn't even know this fact about this guy. He used to be a a nationally known radio personality of an AM drive talk show, The Breakfast Club, and a jazz program, Swing All That Jazz. I can't wait to talk to him after the show. I used to be a DJ on uh, KAUR FM radio um, in South Dakota, back in college at Augustana College. I did a program called Just Jazz. Well, let's get back to business and getting ready for business. My guest uh, today is someone who is pushing the status quo in healthcare and employee benefits across the entire country. So what should employers be aware of? How can they take Uh, better care of their most important asset, which is their people. Well, Nelson Griswold is the managing director of NextGen Benefits Network, and he runs a council in the C-suite network, and we're so glad to have him here. Nelson, welcome to All Business with Jeffrey Hazel. Jeff, it's great to be here. We've done a lot of programs together with how I'm selling to the C-suite. I've been to your conferences. You've certainly are an active member in the C-suite network and the Hero Club and and everything else because you're just such a real thought leader in this particular space. And we've even got a program we're going to be talking about a little bit later that we're going to put together to really, you know, to teach employers and leaders on how to get ready for this, right? Uh, it's, it's going to be an exciting program, and I think the timing is – Timing is perfect. The C-suite is focused on controllable costs, and we're going to be talking about how to make healthcare a controllable cost here. Uh, we'll talk. I know the largest spend. Yeah, it's the second. What? What's the second largest spend? Second or third? At the, at the, at the depending on who you who it is. And I know I know you mentioned the other day uh, that um, uh, Starbucks uh, yeah. coffee is no longer their number one expense after payroll. Uh, it's it's healthcare. Yeah, so he spends more on healthcare than he does on coffee. Now that says something about the business itself that they're doing what they do. But second, but but the other piece of it, healthcare shouldn't be more expensive than the product that you serve. I I get it. I just that's his name of the name. You know, Nelson, you have a background in both public policy and employee benefits. How do these two areas complement each other? Well, it's interesting. Uh, so I left a career in public policy about 15 years ago, thought I was done with it. Uh, I ran a couple of think tanks. Uh, I testified on, on legislative issues before uh, legislative committees uh, and, and was immersed in that world of public policy. And then I got into employee benefits and became an advisor to employee benefit uh, consultants. Uh, and we're now no longer doing insurance and employee benefits, we're doing healthcare. Mm -hmm. And so my experience with public policy around healthcare uh, is is come full circle and tremendous help now as we're looking at ways to to take control of the healthcare spend at the employer level. So I'm I'm no longer working at the public policy level 
uh, changing laws. We're changing healthcare policy one company at a time, but the very the principles are the same, Jeff. And so it's very helpful to have that policy background. And as the administration is working to uh, you know reduce the cost of of prescription drugs, is is promoting transparency uh, in healthcare. As those things are happening uh, on the policy side, we're able to leverage those uh, working with employers around the country so they can take control of of their second or third largest spend, as we were just discussing, and start to lower the cost of health care while improving the health care that their employees are getting. Uh, do you think, well, you you, you, told, you mentioned the administration, so I'm going to ask this question. Do you think the administration is doing a good job in changing the public policy around health care? I mean, it, the health care industry is a mess from an employer perspective. I, I mean, we know what it is. It is what it is. The insurance companies aren't going to change it. They're making record profits. There's no way they're changing it. Is this administration doing a good job compared to maybe the last one? It, well, so the Obama administration passed the Obamacare, the yep. Patient Affordable Care Act, Affordable yep. Care Act, which was not a health care reform; it was an insurance reform, yep. uh, and that's whether whether that was advisable or not is is certainly arguable. But it Passed. did nothing <laughs> to affect the cost of health care, which is the underlying cost of of insurance. Yeah, right. So when health care costs go up the cost of insurance goes up, the cost of protecting an employee and his family uh, against health care expenses goes up. So the last administration was addressing the cost of insurance. Uh, Here's here's what's interesting. Paul Ryan, uh, the former Speaker of the House, told one of his constituents who told me, so this is firsthand, I wasn't there to hear it, but I have no reason to doubt this, this, uh, the, the, the man who told me is a very respected CEO in the state of Wisconsin, was one of Paul Ryan's uh, constituents. He said, Paul, we've got to address the cost of health care. And Paul Ryan looked at him and said, Congress will never address the cost of health care. It, 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 it skewers too many sacred cows. Mm-hmm. You've got the hospitals, you've got the doctors, you've got the drug companies. They're you just, got the attorneys. You got the attorneys. Well, they're all the, <laughs> the attorneys representing all of those interests. And, and health care, as an aggregate, spends more money on lobbying than any other industry, including uh, the military, including uh, real estate, which is a massive lobby. Uh, yeah. It's it, the National Rifle Association pales by comparison to what healthcare spends. So I think this administration is doing an end run around Congress by addressing some important issues. The most important is transparency. Right. So I find it very interesting. Hospitals, be transparent with your pricing, as all this administration is saying. Show us what you charge for a procedure. And so what do the hospitals do? They go to court. Jeff, they actually had the temerity, the, 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 the bravado to say, if we make our prices transparent, that will drive up costs. <laughs> what economic world, what economic law did they suspend? Yeah. Transparency brings prices down because you have competition. So, yeah, I think this administration is on the right track. Well, now, takes a lot, by the way, that just takes a lot of balls to say something like that. I'm going to show you my prices, and as a result, it's going to go up. If I keep them secret, 
Oh, it's good. Does that mean if they keep it secret, the price is going to come down? That's what that, somebody should ask them that question. Well, it certainly hasn't because the price of healthcare has yeah. gone up every Nobody. year since yeah. 1960, every year. Well, so, and I'm hearing, okay, so and I'm hearing you know, some really bad things around this COVID in terms of what it's going to do to pricing. I thought maybe it would actually go down because no one's getting access to healthcare like they used to because you can't go see a doctor, you can't go see a nurse, you can't see a, a clinic right now because, because everything's being saved for, for COVID. Yes, yes. And there's a debate right now over, over the, uh, the consequence of this on, on spending, on healthcare spending. Uh, uh, the, a, a major consulting firm, uh, Milliman, just came out with a prediction that healthcare costs for employers will go down 4% this year. No, I, and, I, and I, for the reason you say. Well, it uh, should, but it's, I don't think it will. I, by the way, let's let's come back to this in just a second. I'm going to take a quick break, and I'll be right back with All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. C-Suite Radio. Hey, well, we always love our sponsors, and so great to be, uh, to highlight them every show, because, I mean, they make they make it happen. And I think that's really good. We're talking right here. We're in all business uh, with Jeff Hazel on C-Suite Radio. We're doing a live cast on LinkedIn and on Facebook uh, as we bring you Nelson Griswold, the managing director of NextGen Benefits Network. And right before the break, we were talking about cost. I, you know, you would think it would go down, but everything I keep hearing, Nelson, is, is everybody keeps saying it's going to go up. In fact, you know, last year I had Nurse Deb on. Now, Nurse Deb is part of your group. She's part of AIM, and she's a member of your your mastermind group, uh, which unbelievable, the people that you have in your group. Now, so I've never been more impressed by a mastermind and a real leadership group as I have by that, because every time I meet one of those members, they know their stuff. They're working hard for C-suite members, um, reducing cost of benefits. They're, they're innovative. I mean, it's just really cool to see people at that level just doing the right things for the right reasons. Well, thank, thanks for acknowledging that. Uh, that's, certainly, that's certainly my experience, and I'm very proud uh, to associate with them. And actually, it's Deb Alt, uh, Nurse Deb, who, yep. who is questioning uh, the, the Milliman uh, finding because the, the people who are going in for COVID, uh, she had a couple of patients that she tracks them and she monitors to make sure they're getting the right care at the right place at the right time at the right from the right provider at the right price, the yeah. five R's, as she puts it. And she noticed that some of her patients, her employee charges, had been admitted in the hospital. So she called, she didn't do it, but she had some of her nurses uh, called the uh, the utilization review nurse, the UR nurse at the hospital and say, is my, why is my employee going into the hospital? Why is he being admitted? Oh, for COVID. Oh, he's been, he's been, He's been diagnosed with COVID. No, he's in the hospital for testing. So in order for testing. to for the test, I can get a test in the Washington High parking lot here in Sioux Falls. Why do I need to go in the hospital to get tested? Well, because he's now been admitted into the most expensive bed and breakfast in America, yeah. <laughs> which is uh, is the hospital. And and so there, and by the way, what's happened is the insurance companies have dropped utilization review. There is no pre-authorization required of anything. So no patient, no treatment is being questioned, yeah. which means these COVID patients are going in sometimes in the, in, the, uh, in the intensive care unit for 17 days. Yeah. And then they come out into the um, uh, med surge department to recover. And so their stay may be 31 days. 
that makes up for a lot of total knee replacements that aren't happening right now, Jeff. Yeah, but it yeah, only affects certain doctors, only affects certain parts of the healthcare system, which, you know, I'm not going to knock it because I, I, and I want that treatment. I want everything, right? But oh, no, uh, it's a question of the cost, though. The, the yeah, no, I get it. Healthcare, the healthcare cost. Yeah. Uh, no, those patients deserve whatever care they need. Well, without question. But my right. point is that that it you would think it benefits everybody in the hospitals and so forth, but it doesn't. You know, it's, so it's a it's a crazy, crazy kind of thing. And um, let me ask you a question. You know, because Nurse Deb, uh, one again, one of your members, Deb Alt with AIM, she said a health. Uh, I asked her last week about patients and employers, and and she said the patients and the employers have the power to fix the system. Do you think that's accurate? That's totally accurate. So I I wrote a a white paper recently called Healthcare's Big Lie. And the big lie has (laughs) cost, the the, the big lie, Healthcare's Big Lie has cost American businesses billions of dollars. It has deceived America's C-suite for decades. And the, the lie is very simple. It's been told by insurance companies and brokers, insurance brokers to the C-suite. And it's this, this is the lie, Jeff. You have no control over the cost of health care. You have no ability to control the quality of the cost of your second or third largest spend. No. You may, you may negotiate the cost of ball bearings or paper clips down to one-tenth of one cent, but you can't control a six-figure heart procedure that one of your employees goes and gets. It's a lie. Mm-hmm. Employers across the country working with our next-gen benefit advisors are controlling the cost of health care, and they're squeezing out 20 to 30% of the waste, fraud, and abuse in health care and giving their employees better health care. In fact, in a lot of these instances, these companies send their employees to get the health care free. There's no deductible, no co-insurance. Pay your insurance premiums and then get the health care you need at no extra, at no extra cost. That's the way to do it. So you work exclusively with C-suite leaders. Is the is this current you know situation that we find ourselves environment forcing CEOs, CFOs to take a look at how we spend their money on healthcare? Uh, Absolutely. Well, they should it's be. Not, it's, it's not forcing them yet, yeah. but it is forcing them as as the CEO of Marriott put it in a video to his employees, we have, we have eliminated every controllable cost from the company. The problem is they don't believe and understand that healthcare is a controllable cost, so they leave the second or third largest expense untouched. What my clients are going in and what we're going to be talking about on the, uh, uh, the executive summit in a couple of weeks, powered by C-Suite Network, uh, is healthcare is a controllable cost. We'll show you how to turn it into a controllable cost. And now you can apply the same cost containment strategies you use in every other business unit in your company to healthcare yeah. while improving the quality of the healthcare to your employees. All right. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. And I'm going to talk about how can executives take control back? You know, what, what can they do? We're going to come right back to that after we take this break. C-Suite Radio. 
All right, we're back. We're doing a live cast of uh, All Business with Jeffrey Hazel right here on C-Suite Radio as we're doing every single day as we bring you the information on how to get America back to work. You know, it's time to reopen and open for business in any way that you can. I've been talking about drive and thrive. Get off your rear end. Let's get this thing going. We have to. There's no other alternative. Uh, that's our job as, a, as business first responders, as leaders of businesses to make that happen. And this week, I'm focusing on how to get America back to work and how to really make a difference in what we're doing. And I've got Nelson Griswold, Managing Director of NextGen Benefits Network. He is uh, his mastermind, and he's got a really great one. His mastermind is part of the C-Suite Network. We've always been impressed by his by his members and by his leadership in this area. And uh, we're just excited to be able to help executives. And I asked right before the break, uh, Nelson, how can executives take control back in order to lower healthcare costs? What must they do? What are the two or three things? Because this is a, I mean, this is a massive cost for my business. And you know what? I've always let other people kind of take care of it because I didn't think I had the opportunity to do it. I'm done with that because I've, I've, as you said, I'm negotiating down everything I possibly can or eliminating it right now. And this is my, this is a big cost. This is my, this, I think this is my second biggest cost after payroll. I have to actually look at it to make sure because I do a lot of other marketing and so forth, but it's a damn hell. It's a huge cost. What can I do? What do I need to do? What are my steps? Well, the, the first thing is to understand and accept the fact that not only can you take control, and you can, you have a fiduciary obligation to do so. So when you are providing those employees, your employees, 80, probably 80%, most companies pay 80%, the employee pays 20% of the cost of the health care you have a responsibility to make sure that that 20% that they're paying and the 80% you're paying, because it's now their money, you've, you've given it to them, you're just doling it out as, as the healthcare costs arise. You need to make sure that that money isn't being squandered, that it's right. being spent wisely uh, and, and getting the maximum benefit for the employees. But more important, it represents an overspend. And so what the CEO and CFO have an opportunity to do is to start to control the spend, not the plan, the health plan. That's that they don't have to deal with that. This is finance and strategy question. Yeah. How do we pay for and how do we manage our healthcare spend? So the, the first step is to find an advisor to work with. No CFO, no CFO manages the supply chain in his company for any of his products. In this way, you don't manage the supply chain of healthcare as a CEO or CFO. You work with a, a next-gen benefits advisor who, who comes alongside and partners with you to manage the costs and the quality of the healthcare your employees are buying. It starts with how you finance healthcare. If you're, if you're using an insurance company, you are probably overspending by hundreds of thousands to millions of dollars, depending on the size of your company. You're overspending on the for the for the healthcare your employees are getting. Let's say you're spending a million dollars, Jeff, a year. Yep. Your employees might be spending six hundred thousand on healthcare. Well, one hundred and fifty of that's administrative costs. Well, what about the other two fifty, uh, or the other three fifty that didn't get so the two fifty didn't get spent? Do you get that? No, you no. send that to the insurance company. Mm -hmm. So an alternative financing arrangement is necessary. And then you start letting your benefit advisor show you strategies to control how your employees 
buy health care. Well, and then educate those employees too. I want them just as educated because Absolutely. if my team can help me reduce the cost, that means there's more for salaries, more for people, more for growth, more for them and more for me. All of us benefit in this process. And I think Absolutely. I think that's where we've we've looked at it as just a cost structure and we've looked at it as something we had to have. Although I've always wanted to provide great benefits for my people. Um, I always want to do that because I think that's just a, a right thing to do um, because you can. But, you know, I know a lot of businesses who don't do that and don't provide anything. And those that do, I'm, you, you know, what? also it'd, it'd be nice to know or is how many really appreciate it too, right? You know, I don't think it, they yeah. don't, they yeah. don't understand what they have and they right. don't understand what it costs. Yeah. So they, they don't have the appreciation. No, Ed, you're right. Education, of the employees on their benefits to help them understand the cost yeah. Uh, the investment the employer is making, but also how to use the benefits so you actually get the value out of them when you need them. Yeah. Well, let's take another break. And no, I'm just joking. We're not taking another break. We got a couple more minutes. And before we go, I want to ask you something. You've been known for many things. One of them is being the chief evangelist of the benefits revolution. You know, what, what, you know, people always ask me what, why I'm, why I'm motivated to do what I do with the C-suite network. Why are you motivated to do this? Our vision is the highest quality healthcare, affordable to all Americans. Now, again, I'm not in public policy anymore, so I can't affect healthcare for all Americans. So we're doing it one company at a time. So it's affordable for the employees at that. The highest quality healthcare, affordable to every employee at the company that our clients are working with. And that gets you motivated. The highest quality healthcare that's affordable to every employee that's leading to, that mindset has led to a, a revolution in how employees are, are employees are buying healthcare and employers are buying healthcare and then how they're managing it. And that revolution is reducing the cost of healthcare, giving CEOs and CFOs control of their second or third largest spend and saving their company and saving their employees tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of millions of dollars a year. Well, it's clear to see why you're the master of this mastermind. And uh, I am glad, Nelson, we're going to be doing the Virtual Executive Healthcare Summit. Uh, it'll be live around uh, 3.30 p.m. on Tuesday, May 19th. Make a note of that for those that are listening on the live cast. And of course, we'll be promoting it because we're going to have a jam-packed program. Uh, Nelson and I will be leading that uh, all afternoon from like 3.30 all the way up to about 7 p.m. Eastern time. So it should be a great program. We, every time we get together, that we have a great program, don't we, Nelson? We do. We have. We do. Yeah, it's a light. It's 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 mind blowing. So, hey, listen, we've been talking live with Nelson Griswold, managing director of Next Gen Benefits Network. He leads the uh, Next Generation uh, Healthcare Mastermind. So, you you come and listen to it. You'll find it right on our C Suite Network. Nelson, thanks for joining us on C Suite Radio. Jeff, it's a pleasure always. Thank you. At the end of every show, I like to talk about what I learned. And of course, I got another great guest coming up about getting America back to work and getting us reopened and open for business. And of course, um, I've got one of the leading CMOs of uh, a cybersecurity firm. So stick around for just a minute. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about what did I learn in my conversation with Nelson. I always, it's so engaging to talk to him. And uh He's just a, a great leader in this area and he's really taken this area on and is, you know, trying to overcome the lies that's 
being told in this industry is according to him. That's a good way of saying it. But I tell you what I learned today. You need a healthcare coach. Yeah, yeah, you need a coach. You don't, this is your second biggest spin and you don't have enough knowledge and understanding in this area, in my opinion. And you should probably want to spend a little bit more time uh, getting to control the costs. And to do that, you got to get educated. You have to have an advocate. So, um, you know, check in with one of those next gen benefit advisors or and get yourself a good healthcare coach. I mean, you really need it. If you were going to get healthy, you'd, you'd find a trainer. If you, you want to you want to know a little bit more about the finances in your business, you're going to sit down and uh, visit with your C- CPA, right? So why wouldn't you have a healthcare, um, healthcare benefit coach? Anyway, that's what I learned here today. My next guest is responsible for the company's global marketing organization that includes everything from brand management, corporate communications to revenue, field marketing, and sales. He has been probably one of my best friends for oh, well over a decade. And, uh, you know, I would count him up there in my, my best friends and my top five. Matt Pressurn is an award-winning marketer who's always looking to innovate and change with the times. He's been the, uh, a marketing executive at, at so many big companies, CDW, uh, uh, oh, man, IBM, everything. He is the chief marketing officer at Force Point. Matt, welcome to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. Hey, I want to ask you, your thoughts about how business world is, is being managed during this COVID crisis. I mean, you guys are, you know, one of the leaders in cybersecurity in the world. Um, You're marketing that. How is, how has your life changed? So I think, you know, first of all, uh, I think these are somewhat unprecedented times. Right. And I think the world has changed for everybody. Right. Um, I personally am very proud how we approached the change. And let me just kind of walk you through a couple of things. Sure. So we, we very early uh, got together as a leadership team and we kind of uh, communicated even in the middle of March and with the basic premise that, you know, when a crisis hits, which seems to happen every 10 years or so, right? Many of us, we have, may yep. remember, but 2008 is oh, yeah. years ago, right? And so we immediately said, look, we, we are <clears throat> going to lean in and we are not going to wait. And, uh, you know, kudos to our CEO. Our first thought was, look, all hands Zoom call, if you can believe it or not. But we basically said, look, our number one goal is to ensure the, uh, the personal safety of our workforce. Yeah. We'll do whatever we can to move people into remote locations. And then our second goal communicated shortly thereafter is uh, we also owe it to ourselves, but to our customers to ensure the economic safety, both of our customers as well as, you know, our own employees translated, we have to keep our business running. Yeah. And so since then uh, uh, we have not slowed down. What we found maybe not surprisingly is that uh, while maybe the conversations are slightly different and obviously the remote, users uh, become important. Uh, the need for cybersecurity and human-centric cybersecurity has only gone up. Right. And so, for example, you know, we kind of say, you know, if you had told any CISO, Chief you know, Information Security Officer, prior to COVID-19, that they had to move pretty much the entire workforce to uh, remote locations within a month, 
they would have said, no, 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 no. You got to give me a million dollars and you got to yeah. give me like two years to do that. Right. <laughs> <You're> right. <laughs> and that's just not the reality associated yeah. with that. Obviously what we're finding is, is, you know, humans are the new perimeter. And so how do you set up safe and secure environments for, for employers, right? How do you ensure that, that, you know, as we still know, identity theft is one of the leading areas how the not so good people may get into your own networks and then ultimately they may get access to the corresponding data. So how can we support that in a meaningful way? And so interesting enough, we haven't changed our strategy, right? The strategic notion of where we're going has maintained. And then, you know, as we go through this, we've done a whole range of things. I think, again, in the spirit of leaning in, moving fast, and, uh, you know, basically, you know, facing it head on, which uh, I think you and I have a meeting of the minds uh, as it comes to that. Oh, yeah. And you it's always been interesting talking to your executives about the rings of security and the ways in which you do it. And really, you're only as as strong as your weakest link. And, and it's always typically around the people. It's the Correct. people doing the wrong thing. And that's where, I mean, you guys have always said you've been people-centric security. I think that's the phrase you, you actually- Yeah, human-centric. So human-centric, human, yeah. we actually, we, you know, we, we believe that humans are the new perimeter. Yeah. We've spoken actually with a whole range of, of customers, uh, pretty sizable companies and smaller ones as well. And it resonates very strongly. So the trick now is how do you do that? How do you interact with- uh, both your prospects with your customers um, in a different way, because the reality is we are, you know, notwithstanding some miracle, I, I don't believe that we will see large scale physical events or even breakfast or dinner meetings, uh, at least not in, in the very foreseeable future. Not, well, not for at least a few months for sure. And maybe even further, it's, it's going to change our behavior. And certainly, I mean, you can't say as employers would have said prior to this, you can't have a distributive workforce. That'll never work. We well, yeah, had does. Yeah. And, and we are doing it. it. I mean, and if you think about it for, let's think about you and I, Matt, I mean, we've been CMOs and, and part of big, big companies before, this isn't changing your life. It ain't changing my, it wouldn't change my life. I mean, we're used to working from home. We're used to working from a laptop. We're used to working from a, an airplane or from a, a train or wherever. The, the people that were most disrupted by this were the employees who had to go and face them, you know, face it and go and do it. Obviously, if you have a family, it's a little bit more stressful right. because, you know, you want to duct tape the kids to the wall kind of right now, um, you know, towards just to kind of control the chaos. But for most executives, I don't think this really changed our, our day-to-day life. It changes our focus, but not our day-to-day life. Yeah, I, th- I agree. I, th- I think, the, you know, it goes back to our kind of two guiding principles, right? How do you ensure the physical safety of your employees, first and foremost, but then also how do you create environments where people can participate in the economic safety? So, you know, we've, we've told people who are families, look, we understand and, you know, if your kid shows up or it's loud in the background, so maybe it. Or, so what? Yeah, yeah. So what, right? So yes. the interesting part is there. So what we're finding is, and again, you have to be careful in this world of Zoom, right? In the world of social media. Not, not you know, there this 12 hours behind the screen, you know, like my, my personal learning, if I may share that is, right, as you can see, I wear glasses. I usually, I just need glasses to read. Right, right. In a Zoom environment, I don't need this. Yeah, I actually have never in my life worn twelve 
glasses 12 hours a day. I'm, I'm like, I have to, my eyes are getting adjusted to that. Well, yeah. Well, you have to be careful too, because for sometimes I've watched reflections in people's glasses and they're not paying attention oh, to the, right. the, pro, the program. Hey, speaking of paying attention, let's pay attention to uh, some of our good sponsors and we'll be right back after this message. C-Suite Radio. Talking with Matt Pressure the Chief Marketing Officer of Force Point, one of the world's largest and most successful cybersecurity companies. And this area about getting America back to work and getting all of us, you know, open for business, the cybersecurity portion of this is the scariest part for me as a business leader. This is the one I quite frankly worry a great deal and I need to pay more attention to, especially as I've thought about over the last month. Why? I'm worried about ransomware. I'm worried about getting my shut out of my systems. I'm worried about something penetrating those rings of security and it forces something to go wrong. And then I'm I'm during why I'm shut down for the most part, you know, and a lot of stuff, although I'm doing our best to keep everything going, this could shut me completely down. That's the real, that's the stakes we're dealing with there, aren't we, Matt? Yeah, and I I, I agree with you and and what we're finding is right. Unfortunately, authentic identity, identity theft and yeah. associated implications are one of the leading uh, yeah. causes, and and those hold true both for businesses and for individuals. And and you know the implication, in addition to uh, what you mentioned, that maybe there is a direct impact to your IT. Um, you know, when when people get access to your identity, they invariably, more often than not, also get access to your data. Yeah. How do you ensure in a very responsible way that you monitor the behavior of uh, your employee base and to ensure the security of your company, right? And how do you do that increasingly in a world where more and more things have moved to the perimeter? So it's not only about keeping people out, it's also making sure that those who are supposedly secure on your network are doing the right things and have not been, you know, compromised in, in, in some form or fashion. And in that context, you know, we, we, uh, we see quite an increase in, in interest in our company. We have many companies who reach out and, you know, again, we, we do our very best to, to work with them, even if in a different manner now, right? We yeah. do face-to-face meetings. We like we are here on a Zoom platform, the different ways of how you can engage in a meaningful way. And uh, I, for one, work as much, if not more, in since COVID-19 has has happened, right? Yeah. I'm doing I've worked I've never worked harder in my life as I have right. in this during this in time period. One one, you know, I you know, I'm certainly not run a big operation like your yours is, it's, but it's just relative to zeros, that's all. I'm still working just as hard and doing just as much to hold it together. What 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 are you seeing, Matt, in marketing? A lot of people are worried about selling during this time period, and I'm going like bullshit. You know, selling is helping. And if you're helping, you're selling, right? What What are you doing and how are you guys moving with the marketing, you know, during this time period when you ben- you benefit and there are other people who aren't benefiting, but they're ne- they need to be protected. So there's a lot of like, oh my gosh, things that go on in your head, right? About what you got to do and how, how you position the company. So you're yeah, not- so- it's a great question. And, you know, you and I have known each other for a long time. So what I'll say probably will not surprise you and maybe it's helpful to others. So when it comes to that question, I actually don't start with the marketing angle. Mm-hmm. The first conversation we had is, look, we are not going to be ambulance chasers, right? 
as a company. That is not who we are. That's not what our brand stands for. We are, we've done a lot of brand work. We're a strong brand, a personal brand, a trustworthy brand, a brand that is in service of others. And our number one goal has to be to help companies go through that storm, keep business up and running. And in the context, we will help you with your security challenges, right? right? That's number one. And, and from my past experiences, it's very important that you end up in that on what I call the, the, the side of positive or good. In a world where everything is negative, frankly speaking, people are looking for someone who can help you weather the storm, number one. Number two, now, I don't necessarily view this as a marketing question, and I actually would go as far to say that um, if you are approaching it that way, you, you may uh, not receive the support from your company. So what we've done is, or what I've driven very hard in our companies, I said, look, rethink this from a customer engagement perspective. What happens in a world where you're not physically connecting? You know what happens? You will still interact. You will use digital means to do so. And what does that mean? You, know, you will probably do some search. If you want to know where the sassy blueprint goes that Gartner goes, you'll type it in. If you want to get a specific white paper, let's say in the cybersecurity space, you will end up on somebody's web page. If you want to have a, you know, learn more, you may go on a webcast. You may go to like you're doing these type of, of, of interactions. Right. When you start to peel that back and then you say, okay, where's your business going to come from? Is this a time for net new acquisition or is it more a time to possibly focus in on your existing customer base that you renew and possibly cross sell up? So cost of acquisition, right? When you start thinking about that way, then it changes the entire equation as to where as a company you will invest your dollars. And I will tell you, we have pivoted very fast and very hard. So we have literally taken, you know, we, you know, roughly speaking, had probably globally uh, scheduled close to 300 physical type of events, including breakfast, dinner meetings, analyst events, right? Globally, uh, channel partner events. Right. And we have moved them to different platforms. We, in many ways, have actually increased our targeted outreach to our customers just through different means. My entire purpose, though, as a marketing leader was to, to articulate that as part of our leadership conversations not from a marketing perspective, but from a customer engagement perspective. How are we going to make sure that we interact with those customers who are most important, those customers to us and who want to work with us in a meaningful way? Content, like you, you're the expert on this, right? In a world of digital, content becomes the king. By the way, that's technical content as well. That's yeah. group content, right? That becomes a bite-sized type of content, video type of content. You, you know, maybe there are other companies, larger companies, Fortune 50 companies who have, who have had all of that in place beforehand. We did not. So mm. pivoted extremely hard. And, uh, you know, again, it's probably a little bit too early to tell, but I, for one, I'm, I'm uh, very proud of also how the teams have stepped up. And if anything, as I said earlier, we're leaning in. There is no way after my previous examples that I will, you know, I always say jokingly, but not so jokingly, if you're, if you're confronted with a crisis, you kind of have three choices. You can either lead, you can be led, or you can put your head in the sand and hope for the best. 
right. Put, and, you put you put your head in the sand. You're going to get your ass kicked. Let me tell you that right, right now. That's, that's right. what's exposed. And <laughs> that's exactly right. And if, you, if as you and I know, we've known each other. You know, if you have a choice between one and two, then yeah, leading the way or being led, I think it's important that you take a responsible leadership position, articulate it well, make sure that your employee base is with you, communicate, engage, keep it on the up and up path of, you know, a positive path forward and then say, look, we're in this together and we're going to make it work. And, and I think that is, is actually in, in some ways the definition of leadership in general which, you know, you're the expert in as well. Well, thank you, Matt. You know, you, you, you're, you're making a real key point. You know, content's king right now, without question. Activation's queen. But putting it in the right context, that's the kingdom for a lot of business right now. And they need to keep that in mind. You know, I got in a big fight online uh, with someone because I kept saying, drive and thrive, but drive and thrive. And she met, she kept saying, well, that's selling. You're selling. You shouldn't sell. Everybody needs a hug right now. I said, they don't need a hug. What they need to help is help. And you just outlined it, Matt. You said, let's get engaged with our customers. <laughs> That was my number one thing I said from the beginning. I call them the five keeps, but keep your customers engaged. And that means you get out there and you say, hey, what can I do to help you? How can I help? What do you need? You know, in any way, shape or form, because they're having these same issues. You know, you might be providing them cybersecurity or consulting, coaching, whatever, name it, folks. But, you know, they need help because they, they, they've got, they got questions and they're looking at you, Matt, and your company as business first responders. I mean, that's really- Yeah, I mean, I look, to build on that, right? This oh. is, look, when, when you're confronted with a crisis, usually, whether, you know, our target audience or the CIOs, CISOs, the users, right? And to some extent, CEOs as well. But a lot of these conversations, particularly in the early phases when this happened, was almost like a business continuity conversation. Right. Where yeah. people would say, look, I have this massive group of, of employees that I'm trying to move from, an office environment to a, a virtual environment. I haven't done this. How do I do this at a large scale? And the interesting part in that is, right, there were clearly the very tactical and important how-to steps that are required. But then there was also the notion, and I can tell you, you know, do not use COVID-19 as an opportunity to sell me something. Right. But please do not confuse engaging and helping someone run their business in a meaningful and secure manner and do it in an empathetic way. Right. Right. And that is what we found resonates extremely uh, well, but yes, empathy is important, but empathy by itself is not, go it does not. It's just a hug. I don't need a, yeah, I, mean, it does I not appreciate it. Nice hug is nice, but it ain't going to help me, you know, yes. pay the bills and, and it's not, you know, not going to help me protect the people I need to protect. I mean, you know, I could get the same thing and I'll use this with C-suite supplies. A lot of people could come after me and say, Oh, Jeff, you're taking advantage of the situation. No, I'm not. I know that people need masks. I know they need uh, uh, goggles. I know they need shoe, shoe coverings. I know they need gloves. I know they need these things. And I went out to go get them myself and I was getting ripped off. And that didn't seem right to me. So I said, ooh, I need a trusted source for this. So I went out and found something to do it and then put up a site. And now we're selling tens and tens of thousands of dollars a day already. And we just launched it three, four days ago. I haven't even done any advertising, just been you know, word of mouth. I'm there to help people. And that's the same thing. That's what you're saying right there. Just yeah, I think, people. look, look, I, and, and, you know, this is, you know, one of the, the other part dimension I would add to it is, right, 
I mean, we, we meet as a leadership team on a weekly basis. We looked actually at our business with a very fine comb, you know, and we, yep. how we make the required uh, resource shifts to respond in a, in a proper manner. But on a personal level to all of my marketing colleagues, you know, I, between listening to, uh, you know, your uh, various uh, shows, I have downloaded, there's great reports from McKinsey. There are great reports from Bain. There are other groups. You can educate yourself and get a pretty good view. Totally. Of, you know, of, of what you could do. And then within the confines of your company and the structures and, and the risk profile that your company may be willing to take, you can really, I think, as a marketeer, help lead the way. So as you've known over the years, I, I, I really, I care deeply about the companies I work for. And yeah. again, I've, I've been very, very, um, I wouldn't say aggressive, but very pointed that, you know, speed is actually your friend. Mm. I'm not a believer that you can wait and hope for the best. And, you know, and so <clears throat> I think we've been very responsible. We're clearly leaning in and we're engaging and engagement is more important than anything. Right. And then also, I think from a cultural perspective, you know, you, if you do that and you do this in a larger scale organization, you also have to create an environment where people don't feel that the first time they make a mistake, it's punitive. Right. Mm. Create a culture where people say, OK, I'm going to get rewarded for trying things and I'm going to do the right thing because that's who we are. And OK, occasionally something won't go right. The question is, how quickly can you then recover? adjust and do that. Right. And I think it's really, really important. Um, and you know, so in, in general, you know, my, my personal view on things is always, if I can glass is half full, not half empty. And I think in, in these days, that's even more important than ever. Without question. Listen, we're talking with Matt Pressure and the Chief Marketing Officer of Forcepoint, leading cybersecurity firm in the world, billions and billions of dollars. We're excited as he's helping us talk about how do we get America back to work? How do we how do we get open for business? And Matt, I tell you, has been a friend of mine for uh, well over a decade, and he's one of my best friends. In fact, I saw your post the other day. You were cooking some steaks and asparagus and nice wine, and it, it, it reminded me of our dinners because Matt and I always get together whenever we can in New York, and we always have a, oh, first we start off with a big plate of oysters, don't we? Usually, usually <laughs> yes, about two, we do. <laughs> yeah, usually two or three dozen, and then we have a nice wine. We have First, we start with scotch. Then we, then we move to the oysters. Then we go to the wine and then we have a beautiful steak dinner great potatoes great vegetables and i miss that matt we, i'm looking forward to us uh, getting together at wolfgang's or somewhere in new york yes i'd love that too and just so you know right and this is maybe another personal part right um i have i have always said i'm much better on the eating part than the cooking part yeah i have this time for the last four weeks i have basically tried to learn how to cook yeah And without, you know, am I a chef cook? No, but I have now reached, I think, a level of sufficient, you know, credibility, notwithstanding a couple fire alarms that went off, a few things that probably didn't exactly fit the, the profile. But again, you know, if you're confronted with a crisis, do something for me. I've learned how to cook. It's been in many ways, actually, you know, cooking is such an art form. It is. Yeah. Creative art form that actually also releases stress, which is what I didn't expect going into this. 
And then, you know, you and I are both, uh, we both love our bacon. So, you know. Oh, yeah. I tell you what, get, do yourself one favor and then we got to run is uh, get yourself one of those pre seasoned, a cast iron skillets. Okay. Mm, you got to do that. You can cook anything in a cast iron skillet. And I absolutely love it. I cook everything. I cook something in it every day. My eggs, my bacon, my meats, my steaks. I even heat that steak up. And boy, I sear that steak on that with some butter. I'm telling you. And and then tonight I'm making Al Roker's chicken. You, go look that up. Al Roker's chicken. It is awesome. awesome. And, it, and it's cooked in a, in a skillet as well. Hey, Matt, thanks so much for joining us right here on All Business. Thank you. Really appreciate it. The end of every show, I like to talk about what I learned, and I tell you what I learned. Be a source, be a service, be a resource. Um, own the category. I mean, if you, you know, he said it's all about search, right? When you're in the tough times, people are looking for solutions. You don't need to go out and sell and wave the flag. All you got to do is just be there when they need it. And to be there when you need it, you need to be consistent. So don't forget, you know, content's king right now, activation's queen, but context is the kingdom. That's what I learned right here on All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett on C-Suite Radio. And we've got over 160 shows, so don't forget, tune in C-Suite Radio. And you just reach out to me at jeff at c-suitenetwork.com, c-suitenetwork.com. I'll give you a couple of leads for some good shows to listen to and tell your friends more about C-Suite Radio and All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. You're listening to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett, brought to you by C-Suite Radio, a podcast network featuring today's top business experts and is part of the C-Suite Network, the world's most trusted network of C-Suite executives. Find this and other business podcasts on c-suiteradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.